Welcome to another session in the Radical Christ, a offering of the Wounded Angels Network in collaboration with Dharmagiri Sacred Mountain Sangha. Thank you to all of those who are commenting and um, engaging me about the work. Um, it's always helpful to know that somebody's out there listening. And um, two, two inputs this week that have been very helpful. The one was somebody pointing out that in South Africa, this coming Tuesday will be day 40, uh, the 40th day of the COVID-19 lockdown for South Africans. Um, so that had a sort of synchronicity to it because this week we're talking about in the, the rosary of Jesus' life. Remember last week we looked at the, the baptism and, um, and this week straight away we're going to look at the temptations, the 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. So the 40 days of COVID uh, is, a, is an interesting little um, connection there for South Africans. Um, the, the other comment <clears throat> that was helpful was from somebody who pointed out that one, when one speaks, and I, as I am speaking, about Jesus as a map for every human journey, um, that I need to be careful, and I'm very grateful for the caution, that um, we must never confuse the map for the territory. Um, <clears throat> and I've got a story that, that hopefully will illustrate that there's a man, this is the days of paper maps, um, and there's a man walking around the streets of New York and he's got a paper map in his hand and he's looking at the map and he's in downtown Manhattan and he's looking around and he's trying to orient himself and he's looking at the map and, and he's getting more and more frustrated and eventually he starts cursing, he starts saying, damn you New York, damn you Manhattan, what is wrong with you, what is wrong, he's glaring at his map. And so, because it's causing such a commotion, eventually two New York police officers approach him and say, Sir, can we help you? What is happening? And, and he says, carries on cursing, he says, Damn New York, you know, there's something wrong with the city. And, 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 and they say, What is wrong? And they say, he says, Well, nothing, nothing around me wants to orientate with this map of mine. And the policemen by now are looking over his shoulder and they say to him, But Sir, that is a map of Cape Town. Very often um, in our religious um, expressions, we, we get hold of a piece of paper, we get hold of a Bible, we get hold of a Quran, we get hold of a Holy Scripture, a Sutra, and, and, and there's a big temptation, and this is the point that my friend made, that we then confuse the map for the, te for the territory. That story of the man cursing Manhattan for not corresponding to his map of Cape Town is a silly story. And yet very often we do that. So when I speak here about Jesus as a map for every human journey, I'm not saying that our lives have to follow the scriptural record as I'm unpacking it of Jesus's life. The opposite is true. That if you get disoriented and you get lost in New York or Cape Town, assuming that you've got the right map for the, for the city that you're in, a map is useful for reorienting yourself. If you're feeling lost, if you're feeling desperate, if you're feeling that you completely don't know where you are, then coming back to Jesus as a map for the human life might help us relocate ourselves and say, Whew, thank heaven, somebody else has also been through this. So it's not that we're going to follow the same sequence. We, we might be crucified today and then in Bethlehem the next day and then in the temptation and, and you know, 
the order might be completely different. The fact is that there are these waypoints and map points that we can come back to. So I'm very grateful for that comment. So to move on then, for those of you who are interested, this is a sharp knife in the kitchen incidents that I'm recovering from. So please excuse it. I thought of putting gloves on, but that would just be too weird. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your head against the your foot sorry, against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Now Mark's account is quite different. Mark was written before Matthew. Uh, is, is, is a lot more summarized. Luke's is very similar to Matthew. Um, both of those, it is assumed, used Mark as a source. And the only big thing I want to point out is that Luke ends this account where it says here, then the devil left him and suddenly angels came. That's Matthew's version. Luke ends it and says, and then the devil left him for an opportune time. So there's a temporary uh, removal. So if we can just go to what happened before in the narrative. We last session looked at the baptism of Jesus and that profound moment when the heavens open, he hears the words of God only two times in his entire life, adult life, that he hears God speak that we know about. And the words are the same in both cases. They, the words go, that's my child. I really, really, really like you. I love you. You are my beloved, my agapetos. Um, I approve of you. And there is the descending symbol of the dove, the sign of the Holy Spirit coming down to rest upon Jesus. <clears throat> and then immediately we, we read that the Spirit, the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Now, <clears throat> this word led up can also be translated from the Greek to mean offered up. So then the Spirit offered him up. The same spirit that descended as a dove at the baptism, that same spirit drives, offers him up, leads him up into the wilderness 
to be tested. The approval of the voice and now the testing, the stress testing of this identity. Who is Jesus really? And I, I, I want to pick up on the idea that, that the dove that descends changes from a dove into a raven because the raven is the bird of the wilderness. The raven is the one that comes and feeds Elijah when he runs away. Um, also for 40 days, the raven feeds Elijah. And so the raven is the bird of the wilderness. The dove is this gentle dove of peace and light and voices from heaven. The raven is dark and shadowy and speaks of wildness. And there's, <clears throat> there's something a little bit of an echo here. I don't know if you can hear the echo, uh, but if we take the translation that the Spirit of God offers Jesus up to the wilderness to be tested, it, it kind of harks back to a narrative that Carl Jung made a big thing about. Um, he actually wrote a very, very significant um, article, a small book actually, called The Answer to Job. Where, where he has a look at this God of the Old Testament, this Jehovah, who's actually quite fickle and who, who loves Job, but is prepared to negotiate with the devil to have Job tested and tried. There, there's some hint of that here, that, that the same spirit that blesses Agapetos, my child, then also offers up this child into the wildness so that the wildness can test this agapetos of God. Goethe, that great romantic uh, German writer, probably one of the greatest writers that Germany ever produced, Goethe's Faust has a similar story where um, Mephisto, Mephistopheles, um, also goes into this negotiation um, with God about, about Dr. Faustus and there's this whole story of the Faustian pact where, where, where Faust makes a deal with the devil um, that he'll give up his soul at the end if he can just have power. Uh, there's something of that going on here. So <clears throat> how is one to understand this from a modern day understanding, remembering all the time that all of these things are simply the projections of our own mind? These are our human conversations. These are our human struggles. These are the things that humans have struggled with and thought about for millennia. We projected God outwards. Now God has come incarnated into us. So what do we then make of the fact that parts of our life are very clear and in the light and filled with doves and voices that say, you are the agapetos. And then there are other times of our life that are ravenous like ravens that pick and tear and pick and, and go for our eyes and, and are dark and shadowy and, 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 and terrible, terrible wilderness and wild times of our life, some of which I'm sure, if you're anything like me, you have been going through in these days of lockdown as you watch what the mind does. 
Well, from a Jungian psychological point of view, the wilderness temptation of Jesus is absolutely the, 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 the thing that has to happen after the wonder of the baptism and the light and the dove and the voice. Um, it's a necessary counter to what Jung would have called an ego inflation. So when you have had God speak and when you have heard God tell you that you are the beloved, um, it's very easy to become inflated with how important this is and how important you are and how significant you are in the scheme of things. And so then to be offered up into darkness and testing is a very useful counter to that ego inflation. On a positive note, one can call it the integration of the shadow. There has to be a remembrance that our humanity is as wild as what it is enlightened. And so we, we need to not try and tame the wildness. I'm very grateful to Stephen Jenkinson and um, if, to a talk that he gave on his podcast, Orphan Wisdom, in the past weeks. Um, <clears throat> and I will put a link to that talk called Stranger Days. And, and uh, what, what Stephen uh, Jenkinson makes very clear is that one cannot, um, cannot tame the wilderness. Um, Jenkinson himself studied divinity at Harvard and, and he speaks in this talk about preaching on this very subject of Jesus' temptation. And he says it struck him even then as a young preacher that Jesus goes into the wilderness not to conquer the wilderness, but to conquer himself in the wilderness. And if there's anything wrong with our world where it is right now, with viruses and cancers and ecological crises, it's been that we have had this arrogant assumption that we are the conquerors of the wilderness. So, so what Jesus teaches us in this um, experience of the wilderness temptation is that he goes not to test the wilderness, but he goes to be tested by the wilderness and to work on himself, not to try and enforce power onto the wilderness. And so all these discussions about waging war on COVID-19, waging war on cancer, and we talk about so-and-so battled bravely against cancer until the very end. Cancer has got no issue with us. Cancer has got no war on us. Cancer is not an enemy. Cancer is a group of cells that become too successful and propagate too quickly and take over our bodies and therefore kill us. The COVID-19 coronavirus and all other viruses are not intentionally aiming to conquer us. They are simply very, very successful and when things become too successful, that's when problems come. But if, if the coronavirus or any virus and cancer were companies, businesses, they would have been on the cover of the Fortune uh, magazine. They, they would have been part of at least of the top five, Fortune 500. They are incredibly successful at propagating and taking control and taking charge. They are so successful that like cancer, they will actually kill their host. 
they will kill their host. <laughs> Cancer kills our bodies. Corona viruses kill us because they are so successful and they eventually kill us and therefore they die. That's why the virus jumped from the pangolin to the domestic animals and then onto humans because the, the virus is successfully trying to propagate itself in the Wuhan province to try and stay alive but beware of being too successful and it's against that background that that I want to speak about Jesus in the wilderness um, in 2008 I was very privileged to to um, go and spend an, an entire year in a hermitage retreat at uh, Dharmagiri um, that uh, is a very special place, uh, a, a Buddhist retreat center founded by Kittisara and Tanisara. Um, and, and I spent an entire year. Now, now Dharmagiri is on the road to a very famous um, mountain resort. And my hermitage was quite isolated, so you didn't see the main road. There was just a little bit of the curve of the road you could see far down the mountain. But on a Friday afternoon, this hum would begin. It would be like a drone. Here from about three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, this drone would begin. And then on the little bend of the road, you'd see these four by fours flashing past, heading up to the resort. And they would be laden, um, mountain bikes on the top, canoes on the top, trailers, tents on the trailers, um, and zoom they would go up into, into this mountain resort, into the wilderness. And then at about the same time in the afternoon, on the Sunday afternoon, the growl would go the other way, zoom, everybody would go back um, with the 4x4 just suitably covered in mud to show that they had been to the wilderness to conquer and had conquered the wilderness. Uh, the wilderness is huge business and before uh, COVID-19 shut down tourism, um, South Africa ha has some amazing wilderness resorts. But it always intrigues me that people who come to the wilderness don't come to work on themselves in the wilderness. They come to, to exploit and to experience and to photograph and to, to ride all over and to go on trails around the wilderness. And if you gather around campfires at these resorts after a day's whatever it's been, mountain biking, kayaking, running, hiking, uh, photography, you name it, the conversation will seldom be all for the wilderness. The conversation will be about how well the technology worked. Gee, my, this new lens that I've got is really amazing. I've got this gimbal that really captures all this wildlife amazingly. Um, gee, my new bike performs so much better than the old bike. Wow, the 4x4 is really cool. Um, can you see the conquest? Can you see the wanting to, wanting to tame the wilderness? That's not what happens to Jesus. Jesus goes to the wilderness to conquer himself. And there's been tens of thousands of sermons, so I'm not going to preach another one about, about the three temptations. But very briefly, just to recap, um, the devil, uh, Diabolos, um, which means the, the counterpart or the, the one who argues against. Uh, dia means to move against, to move across. Um, um, some translations of Diabolos would be the backstab or the backbiter. But, but more appropriate is the, the, the adversary. 
The oppositional energy is what Richard Rohr calls the devil. And I think that's a very good uh, translation of Diabolos, the oppositional energy. So the oppositional energy comes to Jesus and says to him, why don't you, you, you you're the agapetus of God. Why don't you just turn these stones into bread? You're hungry. I can see something. Just make some bread out of the stones. Obviously, the temptation to use whatever power he has for material ends, to use his power to conquer the wilderness, to turn the stone into something he can use. Um, it's an early form of mining, early form of exploitation of resources. Uh, turn the stones to bread. Turn it into something useful. Stones, not useful. And so make it into bread. Make bread. Second temptation, he takes um, the oppositional energy, um, has Jesus picture himself on the pinnacle of the temple, on the top tower of the temple in Jerusalem. And if you'll only just throw yourself down from here, if you'll do some wonderful, spectacular act, I will give you all power. Um, and it's, the, it's a temptation to use cheap, cheap tricks. It's the temptation to be over-enamored with our technology and how clever we are and how clever the algorithms are. So clever that we now write code that can't be uncoded and the algorithms take on a life of their own and the very coders who wrote the code can't actually get back into the algorithm to undo the coding that they've done because it's been compressed down and compiled and now it just runs itself. Those kind of cheap tricks. Um, and religion, of course, is a whole cheap trick on its own of, of spectacular acts and, and these silly, silly people um, who, who curse the coronavirus and bind the coronavirus and blow all over it and say, uh, Kenneth Copeland saying, I curse you, COVID, be gone. Okay. Uh, cheap thrills, cheap tricks. Pinnacle of the temple stuff. The third one is Jesus is taken by the oppositional energy to a high mountain and shown all the kingdoms of the earth and said, if you will just worship me, the darkness, if you will allow the darkness to take hold of you and only work for yourself, um, I'll give you all power. And one only has to look around the world at what leaders are being exposed through this current crisis and the ecological crisis for the narcissists they are and then those leaders who are really there to try and balance the darkness with the light. So, so Jesus goes and he faces those um, temptations of the wilderness, but all of them, again, may I remind you, is about working on himself, not trying to take control over the wilderness. Because you see, whether you exploit the wilderness, uh, whether you use cheap tricks, whether you use, use political influence and power, None of those are as important, none of those masteries are as important as self-mastery. And that's really what the wilderness temptation is about, about mastering yourself in the wild and dark and terrible, terrible times. Because the wilderness, make no doubt, was a fearsome, fearful place. It was the place where everything bad happened to the Israelites. They were afraid of it. And certainly the Jews of Jesus' time had nothing good about the wilderness. It was the wilderness into which they chased the scapegoat every year to carry all their sins. It was the place of demons and darkness. Uh, there's that place is still in us. But we don't ignore it. We allow 
ourselves to be offered up into those dark moments, into those tragedies, into those terrible, terrible dark nights of the soul, those wildernesses, because out of that comes the redemption. Um, the dove and the raven have to be together. The blessing of the agapetos and then the raven, that canny and cunning bird. Um, and, and one has to remember in spirituality to balance wildness with all the composure and the consolation that, that we, we tend to propagate. And, and one of the most telling criticisms I've heard of the church is that the problem with a lot of the church is the church doesn't acknowledge the shadow of the human and of the organization. So everything is about light and doves and baptisms and water and very little is about temptations and wilderness and ravens. One has to hold those two things together and that is why for me if I if I didn't have the cross as a symbol which in itself is very powerful um, and I had to choose a religious symbol I would choose the yin-yang sign from the Taoists. Um, that, that circle that as you can see has has a teardrop of complete white and a teardrop of complete black shadow and light doves and ravens but in each one is a dot of just the other one and it holds everything in that mandala circle of tension that that is what it means to be fully human we can never tame the wilderness we can never tame satan and there's a fascinating, fascinating story that comes out of the Quran. Um, you, you, you do know that the Quran shares many books and many of our uh, Judeo-Christian uh, mythology. And so when they tell the story of the creation of, of, of the world, you have Adam and Eve, and they get cast out into the wild, out of paradise, into the wilderness. Um, and, and then immediately they have children. One of the children kills the other. And, and, and this, uh, from, but there's this unique perspective in the Quran where they tell the story of, of how Cain has now killed his brother and his brother's lying there. The dead corpse um, of Abel is lying there um, because Cain had been overwhelmed with jealousy that his brother's sacrifice had been received by God and not his. And, and we read, this is from, from the Quran. Thereupon Allah sent forth a raven who began to scratch the earth to show him how he might cover the corpse of his brother. So seeing it, Cain cried, Woe unto me! Was I unable even to be like this raven and find a way to cover the corpse of my brother? Then Cain became full of remorse at his doing. I love it. The embracing of the shadow. The raven comes and says, come on, just, just make as if it didn't exist. This, just move behind your picket fence. Go back to the dove and the light and the, and the agapetos. Forget that you also are somebody who could murder their own brother. The raven comes and scratches and says, hide it away. And the watching of the raven brings Cain to remorse and in the Quran he goes and confesses um, what he has done. It's amazing how the different tradition just brings a, a whole new understanding 
of, um, of that whole Cain and Abel story and the scratching of the raven. <coughs> and, and so that's the, the real power of, of these two stories back to back. You've got the baptism of Jesus, all the light, all the, the glory, all the, the agapetos, the affirmation, the, uh, the dove. And, and then you've got the darkness, the being offered up into the wilderness, um, going into the world of the ravens and the demons and the darkness. And so it's a reminder to us that we have to balance spirituality <coughs> with wildness. Um, <coughs> as Stephen Jenkinson says, just like you can never tame the wilderness, so too you can never tame the oppositional energy within oneself. That which wants to destroy everything that is powerful and, and positive. Um, but that's the truth about our humanity. We are the yin and the yang. We are the darkness and the light. And, and we ignore either one at our peril. We have to hold those two things together in the mandala offering, in the circle. Um, and, and right at the end, when, when Jesus in Matthew says, um, go to Satan, in the old English it says, get thee behind me. Um, that word hupago, hupago, actually means just go, stop, leave. And Luke adds that little spin which says, and so the diabolos, the devil, departs from Jesus until an opportune time. Um, but that hupago, that go or get behind me, doesn't mean go away forever. It, it means also that we now are changing our relationship. Um, stop it, calm down. <laughs> you, you're not all there is. Um, I have told you that I'm not going to um, use my powers for exploitation. I'm not going to use them for cheap thrills and I'm not going to use them for political power. Um, so you can stop now. Um, and I know that you will continue to challenge me, um, but, but you need to know your place. Uh, I'm a person of light and I also face the darkness. Um, so that's Jesus in the wilderness. I hope um, you've found some interesting insights. I've certainly loved preparing um, this particular episode um, and grappling with, with some of the concepts. So thank you once again for your attention.